Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 445 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. Well, it's Boxing Day the day after Christmas, and we're here to talk about books, which just feels so cozy and appropriate. Can I admit that for a very long time, I thought Boxing Day meant people watched boxing on TV? Oh, well, I don't think I really knew what it was, so I'm only like a half step (laughs) (laughs) better informed, I guess. I mean, I was, I wasn't that much of an adult when I figured it out, but I, I was in my 20s, I think. So my kids told me that it's because a long, long time ago, wealthy people boxed up nice food and gifts for their, the people who worked for them because yeah. Okay. They got a day off. All right. Yeah. The working, the working, the working class and and also probably their um, servants and people who were in their village and things like that. Yes. I did eventually learn that. (laughs) And now I think, you know, a lot of people use it for a day to, if you're the kind of person who wants Christmas gone Mm -hmm. immediately, you might use it to box up your ornaments. And if you're someone who doesn't mind living with it for a few days, you're probably uh, unboxing some books and reading them. That's what yeah. I think. I, I always enjoy kind of like that um, day after just getting to dig into whatever the food spoils, gift spoils, mm-hmm. um, do a little puttering, a little tidying. There's just um, often a less pressure to be on as a mom. Um, and so, yeah, happy Boxing Day, wherever you are. We are talking about books today, kind of loosely looking back at 2023 as readers this year. Uh, If you've been around this podcast a long time, you know that both Megan and I love to read and identify as readers, but we, we don't read. I think we both feel a little atypical and we don't uh, read quite as many books in a year as a lot of people who identify as avid readers do. So we're just, we're showing up as our regular reading selves for this conversation. And we're going to talk about what we read this year. 
Yeah, I'm really excited about this. And um, this is something that I think my reading habits, well, we've talked about our reading habits before uh, ad nauseum, might have changed a lot in the last two years. So yeah. yeah, this feels really timely and fun. Always evolving. Well, one thing that has changed for you in, in your relationship to book the, books the last couple of years is that you became involved in an actual brick and mortar bookshop up in yes. northern Michigan. Yeah. So last, well, about a year ago now, my sister and her husband, Eric, and my now husband, Eric, and I all bought a building together um, with the idea that Catherine and Eric, her husband, not my husband, that would be weird, would go up there and start an in-person bookstore. And so my Eric and I have had a lot of involvement. Like we're not up there, you know, working the register every weekend or every week or anything like that, but we're up there about once a month. And we've definitely had a lot of involvement in getting it off the, off the ground and um, have some other ideas for the building as well. So um, yeah, that has been a really fun project to watch unfold and especially fun now that it's really like a, a staple in the community. The, the bookstore yeah. didn't actually open until uh, July, like end of July. So now it's been, you know, months and people know that it's there and it's got regulars and it's been really cool. So it's been really fun to follow along on your Instagram. Um, I am curious if being involved in this kind of a project has shifted anything for you in your own, I guess, how you think about books and authors, how you think about readers and, and being a reader and other readers. I, I would just think it would be so interesting because we come to reading very personally, idiosyncratically. Yeah. And now you've had this view into, I guess, the industry and also just a small town's reading habits, book yeah. consumption. Yeah, it's been really interesting. So um, one thing that is just obviously happens when you're around books all the time, you read more of them. It's like if you worked in a library, you would read more. Or if you worked in a coffee shop, you probably drink more coffee. Uh, I just feel like going up there, even if it's just once a month and being surrounded by the books makes me more interested in reading. I feel like I know now more about what's out and what people are looking at, like what the hot books are. I spend a lot of time browsing covers and reading the jackets and things like that. And I'm, and I've just bought a lot of books. Uh, I will also say that Catherine and Eric, who are, are managing the inventory, they're really good about turning stuff around and, um, reorganizing so that new things are highlighted. I think all bookstore owners do that, but you don't always notice if you're not there all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I walk into a Barnes and Noble, I'm not necessarily like, oh, this used to be here and now it looks like this. So I feel like every time I walk in, it is a new experience. And so I've just been buying and reading a lot more books. <laughs> um, I will also say that watching people interact with a bookstore has been so fun. Like readers are the best mm -hmm. and it almost doesn't even matter what they like to read or, um, you know, what they're in it for, because having been in there watching people come in and Eric and I ran the store for a weekend and just got to kind of know some people, you wouldn't necessarily think that in a small town in a very remote rural area in the, you know, in the middle of the upper peninsula, that there would be the diversity of book preferences that right. there are up there, but pe readers are just readers. Like readers want what they want. And um, it's really fun to watch people come in and want like some obscure book about philosophy or something mm -hmm. that they kind of thought might not sell at first. And those were some of the books that flew off the shelf. People are really hungry for it, um, especially in a place where you can't even get Amazon deliveries like overnight. 
that's not a thing up there. So that was going to be my question is, was there a bookstore in this town before or nearby in the area? And where do you think those people were getting their books before? Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm so curious about. Um, there was none, there has not been a bookstore in that town for at least 10 years, I think more like 15 or 20. And if, when there was, I feel like maybe people have talked about there having been a bookstore in the past, but we can't actually find any evidence that that's the case. So it must've been a little store that had books and other stuff. I think, Mm -hmm. um, there is a bookstore in a town about an hour away and in another town, like an hour and a half away. That's not like. It's not no. like right down the road. No. So people probably ordered them online and waited. I mean, you, okay. there's not overnight delivery. So you'd get your books three days later. Okay. And maybe people just read less. Um, you know, they did a survey, an economic survey years ago, asking how much money people spent on books in a year. And the amount was like depressingly low. But then I thought, well, maybe they just didn't have anywhere to buy them. So having a bookstore in your town, I do think makes you yeah. a reader in a different way. And, uh, and it's more accessible. You can walk in and ask the the store owner what they recommend or yep. um, it becomes kind of a hub. I think that's the other cool thing is just seeing how it's really become kind of a haven for people who maybe see moms come in with their strollers and their little ones and they have a really cute little um, kids area and they're coming in just to have something to do, just like we did when our kids were really yep. little, but they're, but they're browsing and sometimes they're buying and, um, it's just fun to watch. It's been really cool. I, I highly recommend if anyone out there wants to open a bookstore, I'll be your biggest cheerleader because I think it ne- there needs to be more of them. Uh, it's a it's a great thing. I, I agree and I love it for you all. And since moving back to Santa Barbara three and a half years ago, I am back in a town with really a really thriving indie bookstore community. We have a couple, but the the big one in town has been there a long time. And my favorite thing about it is I'm pretty sure it's doing well. I mean, I can't, yeah. I'm not looking at their bookkeeping software, but right. it's just, there's always people in there. People are buying a variety of things. Um, you can order online and pick it up. You can call them. They'll help you. It's like a, it doesn't feel like a place in decline. And there have been times where you go into a little shop of any kind and you're like, Ooh, I feel like, right this is struggling maybe. So that could all be perception, but it feels like a really thriving place. And I love that. And perception will often become reality, right? It's true. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay, Sarah. So we're going to talk, just kind of go back and forth and talk about some books we enjoyed in 2023. Um, I am noticing that you, you pasted a little brag photo in our outline. And I believe these are the books you read in 2023. So is this like from Goodreads? It is. And I love the satisfaction of seeing what I've read in a year. I use Goodreads. I actually have also signed up for Storygraph and have thought about moving over there. And that's another uh, alternative that people love. But yes, basically, I keep track of the books I read. I do it in my paper journal. um, And then sometimes I get a little behind in Goodreads and I'll go and update it. But you can set a reading goal for the year. And um, that's a little less motivating for me. Like I don't go into the year saying I want to read 25 books or some people are like 50 books. Um, But I, the tracking itself is really motivating almost more to look back and see what I have read because I will forget like immediately. So what you're looking at um, takes us up through November of 2023 and it's in order. So I'm looking all the way back at the beginning of the year at the bottom of that picture is where I started. And I can kind of see like, I got to summer and I read like four novels in a row and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember like I was in a fiction phase and then I kind of got back to some nonfiction. So yeah, it's really motivating and satisfying to me to, to use Goodreads or Storygraph to track what I read and, and so that I can remember. And then if someone says, have you read this? I'm like, wait, did I read that? When did I read that? (laughs) It's like data on my own self. I love it. Yeah. I'm really feeling very inspired. So there's a long time I would not have done something like this because it would have honestly been a little depressing to me because yeah, me too. I yes. just wasn't reading very much this year and last year, like 2023 and 2022. I read so many books and I can't remember. Like I, I, I literally have me. lost track. So I really think something like this now would help me. I don't know. Get, it's not just giving myself a little pat on the back, but that's part of it. But also just to be like, to see those stages. And often I will get I will really like an author and then I will kind of deep dive on that author and do two or three books of theirs in a row. Uh And then later I'm like, I can't remember which titles of theirs I read. So I feel like this would be really useful. So I should do the same. I'm going to copy you. I will say you don't have to use an app or electronic. I think there's some things I track. We're like off. We're we're on a tangent now, but there's some things I track in my journal in a handwritten way. And I feel like you could have at the back of one of your notebooks just a, a handwritten list of what you've read this year too. And that would, that would count too. And then take a picture of it right. with your phone or something. So 
I don't think these are the only the only tools, but it it does make you a pretty visual. And then at the end of the year, it tells you like how many pages you read. It, it like you know, like your Spotify Wrapped. It's very yes. similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar feel, and it's very satisfying at the end of the year. So yes, that's the the image you're looking at. Well, do you want to go first with your with one of your books? Yeah, I picked four to talk about three, uh, actually three novels and a nonfiction. And the first one, I'm not alone because it won the Pulitzer for 2023. And that is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Um, I had started to hear people talk about it, but I didn't know anything about it. And I really had only read essays by Barbara Kingsolver. I've read that, uh, the one you read this year, Small Animal Vegetable Mm -hmm. Miracle. Miracle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am familiar with the Poisonwood Bible and familiar with her, but I had not read one of her novels. I don't I don't read a lot of fiction. And so I didn't know that much about it. And I don't even want to say that much about it because I think it reveals itself to you immediately what it's doing. But um, it's a story of Appalachia and that region of our country. It is uh, weaves in the opioid epidemic of the 1990s um, and. I guess what I will say about my experience reading it is I read it in mid to late summer when we were traveling a lot and there was a lot going on and I didn't have a lot of, I don't know, like band parenting bandwidth. Like my husband was traveling a lot. We were traveling a lot. And I found myself reading this book in like little pockets of time, um, going to bed late because we'd been up with the kids in the summer and still wanting to read before I fell asleep. Those are highly unusual. (laughs) Yes. And very unusual for me. Often reading has to sort of fit neatly into the rigid confines of my life because of that's just how I am. And this one, I just wanted to keep going and I wanted to talk to people about it. I wanted everyone I loved to read it when when I was done. So that's Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. So I want to read this. It's on my list. Obviously, it's like on everyone's list. I did read Animal Vegetable Miracle this summer and I have read the Poisonwood Bible and I think other stuff that Barbara Kingsolver has written. And the feeling I came away with rereading, because I had read um, Animal Vegetable Miracle probably 12, 13 yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's about the when I read it. The feeling I came away with was she's a, obviously a very disciplined writer. Like she's just really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but like the kind of good, it's discipline. I, I can't, I don't want to get too much into like the writing, yeah. um, <laughs> the writing process. But like as a writer, you can tell there's no sentence in that book that is not has not been thought about, like has not been looked at from all angles. It yeah. doesn't need to be here. Yep. Um, so I'm excited to yeah. dive into that. one. I loved it very, very much. Really like uh, emotionally like stirring or something like, so, like yeah, I, I can be hard yeah. to move emotionally yeah. sometimes that it's really moving. Well, I'm going to start with the most recent novel that I finished. I also have, let's see, I have two novels and I have a, a memoir and sort of a, I don't even know what you call the kind of nonfiction book. It's like an expose memoir, I guess. So two novels and two memoirs. Um, but the one I'm going to start with is an older book. It's called Once Upon a River. Um, and it's by Bonnie Jo Campbell, who's a, she's a Michigan author. I would say she's like one of our top banana okay. famous Michigan authors. I'm not sure like where she falls in the lineup of like, novelists, uh, you know, countrywide or whatever globally, but she's very, very well known here. And she has won some big awards. And I think this book might've been made into a movie like back in, I don't know, 2012 or something like that a while back. Um, but it is a coming of age story about a girl in rural Michigan who, 
like has to go through some stuff. That's just what I'm going to say. So yeah. like, you know, comes from kind of um, very rural, a lot of poverty, has a lot of skills. It, like she knows how to trap animals and like hunt and all this stuff and has an adventure. So while I was reading this book, I realized that I have a formula. And I think we kind of probably all do. But I have a formula for what makes me like a novel or not like the novel. And I feel like if it's got nature and some kind of like against the odds story and there has to be a plot, it sounds crazy to say that, but I do believe there are books out there that don't have a plot. Mm -hmm. You read them and you're like, what's even happening? Nothing has happened. There's been no stakes, no adventure, nothing, you know, like. I don't need all plot. I don't need it to be, uh, you know, a, a conflict every other um, page or some right. crazy story every other page. I don't actually like that, but it also yeah. can't be only character development. Right. Either. So um, I've, I'm just starting to notice that I have sort of a, yeah, sort of a, type? a tell, a type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all do, I guess. Right. Totally. I love that. Well, the next one I want to mention is uh, a novel called Honor by 3D Omergar. And this came about kind of funny. I was browsing in the Libby app. So that's my public library. And I had my search criteria narrowed to fiction available now, like formatted for Kindle, sort by, sometimes I sort by popularity. Sometimes I sort by how recently it was added. And so I really didn't know what I wanted to read next, except fiction Give it to me now on my Kindle. That was basically my criteria. <laughs> that, did you type that in? No, but give you it can, to me now. Yeah, give it to me now. But they do have an available now in English. I did want it to be in English. So I guess there was a few more <laughs> filters. Um, I was browsing covers and first the book cover caught my eye. It's a really like a almost red um, with yellow and there's a mango like a yeah, a mango tree um, and yellow lettering. And I was struck by the cover. And I think I clicked, I might've even been in kind of a rapid, like check out a few books, put them all on my Kindle and then figure it out later, which one I actually want to start. Cause I do that sometimes too. What I didn't realize is I read a novel by this same author, Thridi Amrgar, probably six or seven years ago, again, mm. in a time where I wasn't reading a lot. So the fact that I read it, finished it and like jog- it jogged my memory, it was called The Space Between Us. And I remember at the time being like, Oh my gosh, was this a beautiful book? She writes about modern day India. Um, and so this book, I'll just talk about Honor, the one I read, but the space between us from several years ago that I read was also excellent. Honor is about um an Indian American journalist who ends up pursuing a story. She has to like step in for a colleague um who like can't finish a story. So she steps into an investigative reporting story in rural India that she was not planning on being a part of. And it sort of brings up some of her own family history. We talked a couple of weeks ago, Megan, about family history and genealogy. And um, that's not exactly the direction this goes, but it is very much about her identity as an Indian American. Um, she had not previously wanted to travel back to India very much. And she ends up spending a lot of time there and um, follows this court case in very, very rural India. And I was riveted. It was so uh, it was beautifully put together. It is a difficult book to read the subject matter. There is some subject matter in this book, um, assault, uh, all kinds of violence. I wouldn't say it's on every page. I can't do that if it's on every page, but there are a couple of really upsetting 
scenes in this book. And if that's not for you, just skip it. Like not, not all books have to be for everyone. So just being upfront about that. It didn't bother me because I learned so much and I thought that the plot was so interesting. It felt very uh, unique. Like it was not pulled from something else. I would have watched this as a movie or a documentary if they made one of it. It sounds like it probably will be beautiful. And it's just funny. You talked about a type, like something drew me back to this author that I had loved years ago and didn't even remember. And honestly, I don't even remember the plot of the space between us, the one I read years ago, but I remember loving it. And I loved this one. That's so funny. Okay. Well, I'm going to add that to my list because it sounds like the kind of thing I might love. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, Okay, so then my next one is by Peggy Orenstein, who, of course, has written several books about parenting. Um, I think she's mostly a nonfiction writer. I don't believe I don't think I've read any fiction. Yeah, I've read Um, three of her nonfiction books. Yes, which I would say like parenting slash culture. Yeah, like is feminism like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've read three. So this one took a little bit of a turn from from um, parenting, and it's called Unraveling What I Learned About Life While Shearing Sheep, Dyeing Wool, and Making the World's Ugliest Sweater. Now, <laughs> I want to tell you that this might be the only audiobook I have actually finished. Well, not ever. I read uh, uh, the, one, the Prince Harry. I listened oh, to that great. in the car. But I, it's very un. Even when I think I'm liking it, I'll forget. I'll forget to go back. But this was um, over the summer. I was cleaning the Airbnb a lot and I had it on and it's great. It's a, so it is a narrative nonfiction book. It's a memoir. She, she kind of um, tells the tale of learning how to shear sheep and like from basically make her own sweater right from the sheep. <laughs> so okay, from yeah, like the shearing from, of the from sheep, sheep to the, wearing it from, from sheep, sheep to body wearing to it. my body. Exactly. Like spinning and dying yeah. and all that stuff. Um, now what's interesting, I get the feeling that she probably got the book deal prior to COVID mm. and then had to write the book during early COVID. Cause a lot of it is um, a lot of the story plays out in early COVID. And it's, you know, she's a lovely writer and there's a lot of sort of, um, she's drawing a lot of comparisons between the changes that her family is going through and all these things. It's, it's really well done, but there's also this like COVID backdrop that I personally found a little like that's my, it's not even a complaint. How can I complain? That's literally what was, was, happening, what was happening, but it was hard to read. Yeah. I had that experience with a different book this year too. It was like, it's like too soon and also too long ago. Like I, yeah. I, I don't want to go back there yet. And also it feels like a million years ago. Plus you're cringing um, because she doesn't have the hindsight yet. It's like you're yes. watching someone else be in it. I read yeah. a, I read a memoirish nonfiction this year too, where that was kind of overlaid. Yeah. So all that said, very good book. And what she really does is um, paints a, a story about the history of textiles. It's really what it's oh, about. It's cool. really, it's, so it's got a real environmental slant um, and a real, like, this is how removed we are now from, yeah. like, basically we've done this for food. We've, we've figured out that it's better to be <laughs> connected to our food and close to our food and understand our food systems, but we're not there yet with textiles and clothes and fast fashion and all that. It feels very timely. Like it feels yeah. like this is the time for this book. Um, but I, I do, but then there's this weird COVID thing. So I, that, I don't want to discourage anyone from reading it. I think it was well worth the read. I mean, I made it all the way through. Yeah. 
right? And um, she's a good storyteller. She is a great storyteller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember her being kind of like. Like in a wry sort of way. Yes. Yeah, like sardonic humor. Yes, yeah. that's kind of what I remember, and I'm often drawn to that. Um, oh, cool. Well, I, yeah. I think I would really like that one, so I'm going to add that to my list. Okay, well, the, the last novel on my list um, is We All Want Impossible Things by, I'm going to say our friend, Catherine Newman. I am is she not, your friend? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I have interacted with her on Instagram before. She knows of the mom hour, and I think she knows that I slash we are big fans of her writing. And she was in writerly circles when you were starting out. And then I'm like the next half generation from there. But she, I have yeah. always thought of her as an, essayist um and I'm like a motherhood essayist and I've loved her writing for so so long and I think she embodies this like poignancy plus humor that Mm -hmm. I have always talk about having a type like I have drawn been drawn to uh I aspire to that in my own writing she can in the same paragraph kind of like make you misty eyed about kids growing up and growing older, but also just be like sharply witty and even a little dark about like some other aspect of modern life. So the difference here is this is a novel and I'd only read essay collections and articles and blog posts by Catherine Newman. So um, it is based on her, I think, real life experience supporting uh, a friend going through the hospice final days of cancer. So it's dark, but it's, well, no, I shouldn't say it's dark. It's the subject matter seems sad, but the book is beautifully light and even funny. So if you think it's possible to have a light and really warm and like, feels like a cozy hug about hospice, this book is it. And I still think she's really very humorous in the way she looks at, in this case, it's midlife and midlife marriage challenges and midlife friendship challenges, getting older, having grown and growing kids. It's like if you didn't know that there was someone dying as the plan of plot backdrop of this book, it would really be, I don't know, just a glimpse into like midlife lady stuff that we talk about all the time, Megan. Um, Yeah. But then the hospice setting was also really beautiful and really well done. I've recommended the book to a couple friends I have who work with cancer patients or adjacent to hospice or death and dying. Um, I loved it. It was also relatively short and a easy read. Um, and I read that one in hard copy cause I think I bought it when she like to support the author. I think I ordered it online, like as a pre-order. Um, and I loved it. I am adding this to my list right now. I have to tell you that while you were talking, I did a little bit of reconnaissance work and Catherine Newman and I are Facebook friends. So yeah, we're legitimately see? friends. Yeah. And yes, we came up together. Like she was when blogging was first, first, first becoming a thing. She was already getting pretty well known as an essayist and ha- you know, she's a very writerly writer. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. She never kind of went the influencer route. Right. Um, she stayed definitely in her lane as a writer. One thing that, um, interesting fact, cause I had noticed too, she just went to Substack, um, like last month. Okay. And so she has a Substack, but I went and looked at her profile on Facebook. She still had her old blog, Ben and Birdie up and it's still there. Like it's still the original. Yeah. Um, and she just moved back in November over to Substack. So yeah. I'm going to go follow her there. Yeah. Post haste. I have noticed a couple people talking about it. Her, um, Substack is called Crone Sandwich, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> 
But she's another person who I've really loved the trajectory of her career because she and I were both kind of in that essay writing, column writing Uh space. And then she did the thing I didn't do and started writing fiction. Um, Mm, Yes. And so that's one of those like, ooh, you know, she because she wrote two or three memoirs. Yeah. And essay collections. And then she writes for Real Simple. Like, she, you know, she's done the magazine thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm now going to put that on my shirt. I'm just going to say Catherine Newman and I are friends on Facebook. (laughs) And I bet you she's even probably liked a post of mine before. Yeah. And I've like DM'd with her on Instagram when the mom hour has shouted her out. And she knows she knows of us. Um, I also because you mentioned having realizing you have a type or something you gravitate toward. I my corollary here with this book is not about the plot or the type of book. It's about setting and scene. But you can grab me in to almost any story that takes place in like a medium sized New England town where all the houses are falling apart and the women have slightly witchy hair like you talked about in your in your Instagram post. There's this kind of like college professor like glasses wearing knitting cats in the corner by the wood stove and the house is falling apart there. Dar Williams has a song called Southern California wants to be Western New York about this kind of longing that some of us Western dwellers have for uh, this, like this Americana that we just can't access. We just can't access Amherst, Massachusetts. And I think that's where Catherine lives actually is like some, some college town like that. So anyway, the, the setting in this book also, um, scratches that itch for me. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. 
We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Sarah. So this is a book you and I have discussed, and um, it is not the kind of book I would typically run out and read. Um, like I, I read this sort of expose memoir once in a blue moon. I often like them a lot, but it just doesn't occur to me to read them. It feels sometimes a little salacious. Yeah. So the book I'm, you know what I mean? Like a little bit like I'm like get, gossiping or something. Yeah. I know yeah. yeah. So the book that I'm talking about is Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing by Emily Paulson, who has a couple other books out and she's, she's been on my radar before, but I don't think I ever like followed her very closely. Um, basically she was in, she doesn't name it, but it was very easy to Google and find out which MLM she was part of. Um, having been, you know, in four or five, (laughs) I've been a failed, um, MLM person myself many times over. I've talked about that before, I think on the show. I recognized so much about the culture, the pitch, um, just everything that goes on in these companies. And some are better than others. Uh, Hers sounds like it was particularly egregious. And it's not just about the MLM, really, but about her experience. Like she was um, struggling with alcohol addiction and it was spiraling out of control. And the environment she was in kind of like not only made it possible, but really encouraged that to be the case. And so that was like, there is that happening on one side and then all the deception and the lying and like the, um, charging stuff, like going deeply into debt that was happening Mm -hmm. to kind of support this idea that these sales directors were doing great. And I mean, it was, it was something else. And also there was a whole side angle that I really had never, cause I've read a lot about MLMs in the past. And this, this was not, I watched that, uh, what was that show? Lula, yeah. Lula rich. I watched yep. that. Like, I watched you know, I've, I, yeah. there's a couple of blogs that I've the read. Did, yeah. You, the you dream. listened to the yes. first season of the dream. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of those kinds of things, but, um, there was another angle she took that was like kind of this, these, all these companies are based in white supremacy. And so she made a, a relatively strong case there. I wouldn't say she made the strongest case there. Mm-hmm. I kind of wondered if maybe that was a timely thing that got pulled in. I think when this book came out, there was just a lot of racial conversation happening. And I wondered if it was like it had an S and mm-hmm. it made it work. But right. but you can really see how this these companies are set up to work for women who are already affluent, right. uh, probably white, you know, already have circle like moneyed friends yep. and how the company's structure rewards them for being affluent and white. And like, so it, yeah, it's not the most direct link, but I saw where she was going. And also while reading it, I had so much anxiety the entire time, but I blew through that book and it was really good. So yeah. I would, yeah. If you want like a, it's not fluffy, but it's fast. I think I would like that one. Um, yeah. I, right around the time you were reading that, I was reading momfluence about like mom influencer yeah. culture. So we were, it's not the same thing, but we were both reading kind of takedown-ish type um, 
books about these things in modern culture. Um, and I think I, I didn't love the book Momfluence. I, I, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't love it. And I think the one you're describing, I think I would really like. I think if you read it, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, she'll be texting me every few minutes. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, the last book I want to shout out is The Emotional Lives of Teenagers by Lisa Damore who is um, all over the place in parenting writing these days. And um, I was sent a copy of this book as like a advanced reader's copy, like before it came out, as we sometimes are as podcasters. Um, and I will just say, honestly, I was not in the headspace to read a parenting book about teenagers when the book first came out. And I almost felt a little bad about that because I felt like mm -hmm. I should read this book for work. I should read this book for myself and my kids. And I just don't want to. And that was like a good, I think like a full year later, I, something made me want to pick it up and I listened to it on audiobook. Um, and I, it's just really, really, really good. I mean, this is a nonfiction parenting book, so it's not really good in the same way I'm describing these novels, but it was so not fear-based or, um, alarmist. And I think that's something you and I share when we look to parenting experts, quote unquote experts, we're both pretty averse to fear mongering or anything that could make moms feel like already feel like they have more to do or that they might've screwed up. And I went in already kind of primed to feel that way. And, um, I loved it and I want Brian to listen to it. That's something we did earlier this year with a book. It's a, a way that he's willing to listen to a book like that in on his commute. And then we have a little bit to talk about and a little bit more of a shared language. So I would recommend this book for anyone whose kids are even approaching 10, I'm going to say, because it doesn't hurt to understand what's coming in terms of emotionality. I think that the, the data and the child development is interesting, but actually she has so many stories just from private practice. I remember telling you, Megan, and you're like, yeah, I don't love books that are like, so like, so data driven, even though that data is important. And I would say this one has as much anecdotal storytelling about, first of all, she has two young adult children herself. I always appreciate when someone is a, a parent about, you know, of the age that they're talking about. So she talks about her own teenage kids and then her private practice working with teenagers, um, anecdotally. And I loved it. Well, I think this is one that will go on my list. I'm curious. Did she read her own yes. audiobook? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. That's good to know because I interviewed her for yeah. the mom hour not yeah. too long ago. And I thought that she had a very soothing demeanor uh -huh. vocally. Yeah. Like what she says is already so kind of soothing. Like you said, like it's not making you feel bad or anxious that I, I really appreciated our conversation and how, um, yeah, how soothing it was. So we can link that up in the show notes, but I would listen to her voice yeah. for the length of time it takes to get through a book. Yes. It's very soothing. It's a very unique speaking voice actually. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and, and there's plenty of other ways she has a podcast. There's other ways to get her content. I think what I appreciated so much about the book is it really takes this stance that we are very afraid to see our kids and our teenagers in emotional distress of any kind. And part of that is good that we have put names to some mental health struggles and some real things that are happening, but, and not, but, but, and at the same time, like it's really helpful to understand what is typical and normal because there's so much, what we think of now is like, 
I think she says we've, we've pathologized like really normal teenage um, emotional experience and that's not so good. So I feel, I feel so grateful to have read this book. Well, that will go on my list for 2024. All right. All right. My last book um, is a novel that my sister has been trying to get me read to read for, I mean, at least five years. I'm not even sure how old this book is, but like the minute my sister read it, she said, you have to read this book. And then I just sort of didn't. You okay. know how that happens sometimes? Yeah. Um, it's called Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, and it's by a British author named Helen Simonson. Well, I assume she's British because it's set in England. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It is, I can't even describe this book. It is so charming. It's, it's set in some little town you know, I don't even remember that, like some little village in England. I don't really know what exactly makes up the Cotswolds, but I like to imagine it's a shire mm -hmm. or a ville of some sort. And um, a very traditional little town, little village where this major who is, you know, older, I want to say he's close to 60, maybe widow. Okay. And very set in his ways, you know, the, like the way he likes his tea, the way uh -huh. he wants to read the paper yeah. over his, you know, morning breakfast, all those things. Meets a Pakistani woman who is also a, a widow. Well, I guess he's a widower. Or she's uh -huh. a widow. And they kind of have. So they it's like a little romance is budding mm -hmm. and they have to overcome the town's ideas of who they are. Oh, wow. So it's like so unexpected, this book about sort of older uh -huh. sort of stodgy people in England. And yet it has this undertone of, you know, defying stereotypes and overcoming racism, but like, it's not in any way, like it's not one of those books where you read it and you feel like someone decided to write a book about the issues of the day right. and beat you over the head with it. Right. It's just a lovely story about interesting people. And then when you, it's so satisfying. Oh, that um, sounds really good. Read it with a shortbread cookie yeah, and a properly made cup of tea. Please, please properly make it. Yeah. Um, and it's so, yes, Major Pettigrew would be very happy with you. It, it was so good. Okay. I, I want to add that to my list. That sounds delightful. Did you read it on your Kindle? I did not. My sister, gosh, I don't think I bought a copy from, oh, I bought her used copy. Okay. At. Um, the bookstore, Paper Mill Books, because she had finally decided to sell it after trying to give it to me for those years. I don't think I even ever took it. Like she kept leaving it out for me to take and I just never did. And then I bought it from her for four bucks. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. That sounds like a really good one. Um, well, I thought we could just comment on briefly if looking back at 2023, if anything has changed majorly in our reading habits. And I will just say that for me, I think for the very first time I completed a few audiobooks that has not been my preferred method of reading. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'll listen to long form podcasts and I'll binge a podcast series. But for some reason, there has been a divide in my mind between podcast listening and audiobooks. And my main objection isn't anything about the format. It's that I space out. I start thinking yep. about other things. I don't pay attention. So I do the same. Um, that's, it's not like, it's not like any kind of, it's not, it's neither here nor there. It just hasn't worked for me until this year. And I do think I'm, I'm zeroing in on, it's gotta be informative nonfiction. So it's gotta be something that maybe is a little, 
Like I'm not excited to read on my Kindle because it feels a, like a little more like homework, the the parenting book example, or maybe another kind of self-helpy, that kind of thing. And then I'll just listen in the car. Um, it takes me a while because I don't like to give up my favorite podcast. So I'll still switch back and forth between audiobook and podcast. It means I listen in short snippets. Um, I don't think that would work for me for a really like rich novel experience, but it worked. And I think total, I think I completed three nonfiction audiobooks this year. So that's new. I also completed, well, I looked at my app while you were talking and I realized I completed two audiobooks and I made it halfway through another one. And then they switched author or narrators like halfway oh. through. And then I was like, nope, you're done. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> I, and it wasn't even like the second one was bad or anything. I just, what? I No, I was listening to someone totally different and it was very jarring. Um, I was kind of stuck in the car for long periods of time where I didn't even want to be messing with my podcast app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just easier to let a book roll. So that was one reason. So that was the Harry, uh, Prince Harry book mm-hmm. I was driving. The second one, uh, I was cleaning the Airbnb. And I also didn't have competing podcast content that I was like hoping to get to. Yeah. Because I think that becomes a problem. For whatever reason, both of those times, I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel when it came to new podcasts to yeah. listen to. So I was able to dive in. I think part of it for me too is it's hard for me because I'm very, um, not regimented, that's not the right word, but like there's a time of my day I listen and a time of my day I look at things with my eyes and it would be hard for me to move one into the other category. So I think I like literally just run out of time. Like I just, there's just not enough time for me for the listening, all the listening I want to do. And then I'm ready to switch away from listening. And, but I could see listening to audiobooks like in the bath when I don't want to use my hands. And yeah. So um, two in a year is a pretty big deal. Two and a half in a year is a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Any other changes to your reading habits? Well, I've been reading in the mornings. I know that's something that you were doing for a while. Um, yeah, I'm and out of it right now. Well, this is the first year, I believe, that I haven't had to do any driving in the mornings. So as soon as my kids leave, you know, about 7.20, they walk out the door and I don't really want to get into my workday right away. So I read for a good hour most mornings. Love that. Um, in bed or in a chair? No, I couch? usually sit out on the sofa under that big blanket that you got me. Mm-hmm. And well, you got for Eric and me, but really it's for me. Yeah. Um, so I cuddle up under like the world's fluffiest. It's like a, it's like a pet. Uh Um, blanket and I and sometimes I light a candle and I have my tea and I read and so just reading in general um Eric and I like to spend sometimes we'll just spend a whole Sunday just reading without really anything else to do light a fire read 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 book binging I'm I've just been really binging on reading for the last year and it feels really good I love that I um have not but I have kept, I'm like the little engine that could, like I, the last few years, I just keep reading and I've really like more come to accept that my pace and my choice of books is just fine the way it is. Um, but yeah, that cozy binging does sound really good. Well, since we sit here on boxing day, uh, staring down the precipice of a new year, Let's just talk about like what what we hope for in our reading lives in 2024. Um, I'm going to start with a book that I really want to read, and that is The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. This is a nonfiction book that I think made a big splash during the pandemic, and it's probably why I ignored it, because I thought it was more about like getting 
back to the importance of getting together and all of that kind of like we talked about earlier, that sort of pandemic laced context. But I heard her interviewed recently um, and I think the book was written pre pandemic. So I don't think it's really about that at all. Um, I think it's much more about what we need from each other when we spend time together in person, not just about like party planning and hosting, but actually like, like true ritual and community. Um, the interview, I did not know that that's what this book was about. So The interview I listened to where she just grabbed me was talking about in our modern society, we we're not monolithic. We don't like go to the same religious services with the same people and marry within our culture. It it doesn't happen anymore. And for that's, there's a lot of things that are wonderful about that and more inclusive and more expansive in our experience. But what it means is that we don't have shared rules for gathering. So for example, like if you always, if weddings always looked the same and bar mitzvahs always looked the same and um, funerals and death rituals always looked the same. You didn't have to learn. You learned the rules by growing up in that culture and that the way things are now, we have all kinds of gatherings and we bring people together in all kinds of different ways that are well-intentioned. But um, we're sort of like at this, like, I don't know, existential level. We are missing like, what are the rules and the intentions and what is this gathering about? The, I thought it was fascinating and really addressed something I've thought a lot about um, with regard to like having a faith tradition or not having a faith tradition, um, creating ritual and meaning for my family. Like, I don't know. I, I was so blown away by the interview I listened to with her. So I'm excited to read that book. Well, I am now excited to read that book because that's a lot of food for thought. I mean, that's yeah. like very true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, there's a couple of fiction books that sit in my library my I put them on hold in the Libby app and they're very popular. So it will tell me like you will get this book in 24 weeks. And um, so the two that are sitting there right now and I could I Megan, I could just go buy this book or I could go like, right. it's so funny that I sit there and wait like it's my turn, like I've got to wait. So the two that are there that I think will come up in 2024 is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which I think it's by Gabrielle Zevin, something like that. Um, yeah. People loved that book. And then there's a new Anne Patchett novel called Tom Davis, I think it's called. And they're both just sitting there and I look at them and it'll be like 10 weeks away. So maybe by the time this airs, um, I, I will have um, grabbed one of those. And then I put it on my Kindle. I turn my Kindle on airplane mode and I can take as long as I want to finish. So those are a couple of, I guess, like hot ticket fiction books that I hope to read. Okay. So the book is Tom Lake. Tom and Lake. why did I say Tom Davis? I don't know. I'm like, who's this Tom Davis? Yeah. I am supposed to want to read this book because oh. it takes place in Northern Michigan. So it takes place in like the Traverse city area. I didn't know that. So it's all the buzz around here. And, 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 uh, and Petchett has done some literary events up there. So not like where the bookstore is, it's still the lower peninsula, but pretty far North. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I also think, and Petchett is a great writer and I have read several of her books and loved them. But my sister and I both keep saying, have you read that Tom Lake yet? And we pe both keep not reading it. Like, yeah. we both, like, I think what I've read about it makes me think I'm not going to like it. Okay. I know um, nothing. I just thought I've liked the last couple of books I've read of her. So I thought I'd try it. <laughs> I think it's going to, it's kind of supposed to be kind of feel good. Oh. Um, I should just give it a shot. It's not fair for me to prejudge a book 
just because everybody else loves it. But, you know, I've read The Dutch House and Bel Canto. I mean, I th- I think she's an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. And I probably would like this book, too. It's just when I read about it, it's like, oh, that's not the Ann Patchett book I want to read. Yeah, but maybe that. it is. I, you know, it's, I'm sure there's like nature and it's northern Michigan. I should love this. I should want to read this book, Sarah. But it's also OK if you don't. I'll report back. All right, you read it. Okay. Go get it now and buy it. In 12 tell weeks. Me, be tell ready. me what you think. Tell me what you think. All right. How about you? What's coming up in 2024? Um, I don't have any like must reads that I'm thinking of right now. It's I'm I tend to be a little more like spur of the moment yeah. in the way I choose books. Um, so it wouldn't really be very like me to already have a list going. I will say I want to keep reading a lot, and that might look like some in person. Oh, I like this cover, you know, purchases and some stuff on my Kindle, et cetera. I'm also hosting a book club at my private community, which um, I haven't talked about too much yet because it just happened. But when I changed the name of my podcast from Mother of Reinvention to The Tea's Made, I changed the reinvent community to The Tea Circle to make it feel, yeah, to make it feel a little more. I don't know, cozy and inclusive. I was really kind of focusing on like the midlife stuff for a while and the mom stuff for a while. And I'm trying to be a little more broadly about creativity and wellness and things like that. So it's called the tea circle now, same awesome group of people, but growing, but we have been talking about doing a book club since day one. And I never, I've been so resistant because a, I don't like book clubs. Yeah. I don't join book clubs. I don't belong to book clubs. The last thing I would want to do is run one. And I didn't want the pressure of like having to come up with a list of 12 books that everyone's going to like. It just sounds like way too much. And then if you start reading it and you're the facilitator, what if you hate the book and you just don't even want to finish it? So anyway, I decided to start the world's slowest book club and we're just going to read one book in 2024. And I love this. The book is called The Comfort of Crows. Um, I picked this up based on the cover flew off the car uh, off the uh, shelf but what I didn't realize when I bought it is that it also has beautiful illustrations inside which is fun but it's it's 52 weeks it's a 52 week book little short essays starting the last week of winter so when this when this episode goes live we will just be a few days in and obviously it's a year long you can jump in at any point um and we're just going to read it week by week. And that doesn't mean every week someone has to have something to say about that chapter. Some of the chapters are like one page, two pages long. It just means that as a group, we will be very slowly waking our way through the book. And I feel like what's great about slowing down that much is that we'll be able to um, use the different weeks as different jumping off points. So she's the the subtitle is a backyard year. So she's like literally looking at her backyard, observing Love the birds and so the much. nature. And there's a one in here about a fox. So what will Who's that the author? Did you say that already? Oh, no, I didn't. Her name is Margaret Renkel. Okay. She wrote another book called Late Migrations, which I have heard of, but um, very lyrical writing. Really lovely. I think I'm going to like this a lot. And who knows where it'll go? Maybe sometimes the book club will be like, let's all journal about what we all read. Like maybe it'll like... um. Maybe there'll be some creative challenges. The nice thing about taking a year is you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You can go really slowly. And I think people will love it. So excited about that. If you want to check out uh, the tea circle, I set up a little easy link. It's bit.ly. Do you say bit.ly or bitlot.ly? I've heard both. 
I think All either right. way. Yes. Bit.ly. L-Y slash T-Circle. Okay. Bit.ly slash T-Circle. And we'll link that up in the show notes as well. That sounds really lovely and a great... I love the idea of starting the last week of this, this week, this kind of week between Christmas and New Year's. I love that very much. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening all year long. This is the last episode of 2023, which means we can say we will talk to you in 2024. We'll talk to you next year. Yes, we will talk to you then. Looking forward to it. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mama or listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.